Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com str. You have somehow ended up listening to the stuff that's real that you didn't know was real but also is cool podcast or sturdy dick were bayek or uh never mind Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I am one half of your gracious and loving co-hosts. My name is Nick Thacker. I'm here with my sometimes friend, sometimes enemy, all times frenemy, Kevin Tomlinson. When am I an enemy? When has well, this happened? Well, I'm just trying to get, get the tension building <laughs> for the show. It's for the show, folks. It's all, it's all, anything you hear is all fiction. If you haven't listened yeah. to us before, like I recommend last Thursday Never Happened episode that came out a few weeks ago. That's a good one. And yeah. you'll understand that we don't actually believe anything that we say on this show. That time doesn't exist. It's all it's, uh, figment of our imagination. If you feel like you haven't listened to us before, you're right. Because we only came into existence last Thursday. The dead internet theory is also up there. I'm trying to remember the name of that episode. That was a good one. Do we have like our top, like the episodes that are trending or anything? Do we have something? Yeah, I can pull that up. I'll do that during the show. And we'll at the, at the end, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about that. How about that? Sure. Okay. I want to tell you something first. Something happened, Kevin, and you're not going to believe it. It's one of the challenge accepted. <laughs> it's one of the most incredible things that's ever happened in my life. You want to know what it is? You're not going. You're never going to get. I it. am almost literally on the edge of my seat. <laughs> I'm on the couch last night watching hockey, as one does, and my wife comes home and she says to me, "Husband, I have listened." to a part of your episode of Stuff That's Real. And I okay. think, I mean, my head didn't completely explode because I'm here, right? It's fully formed still. But a piece of my head had exploded and gone across the room. But she listened to the Lava Tube episode. So we're doing something right. Okay. We get her to listen to one of our episodes. One wife represents 4 million people in internet numbers. That's what they tell you. That's what in, they tell me. In podcast school. In podcast, in podcast school. <laughs> well, enough of podcast school. We're going to talk about things that are real today. Things that are cool that we find as we peruse this superhighway called the internet. And the reason we do that is simple. We research things for a living. Kevin and I are both thriller authors. You can go find us on the web, that aforementioned web internet thing. You can go find our books. Which is, in fact, dead. It is dead, so <laughs> our books were never written by us. They just existed all of a sudden. Yeah. They just popped up by a bot, I guess. I don't know. But we write books, and we write thrillers, and we research things for a living because it's fun and it's funny. And then we want to share them with you because we can't fit all of these cool ideas into one book or even 50 books that we've written. So we have to give them to you. So if you're a writer, if you're an author, this is our gift to you, author. Use these ideas. Use these things that are real but also are cool in your own fiction, and you will succeed. 
That's a guarantee. That's a guarantee. That's a guarantee. <laughs> Can we say Asterisk. That? I'm not a lawyer. But... <laughs> Asterisk. Narrator. Guarantee I... not expressed or implied. <laughs> Narrator. He was wrong. Um... <laughs> All right. Well, without further ado, I want to hear your voice. Uh, I've heard yeah. enough of mine today. What you got for us today? You got anything that's cool, that's real? First, before I even start, Ooh. just on the off chance, I want to say hello to Emily and say oh. thank you for mm-hmm. listening. No. I think she feels like she got her listen in, like that's her, her, that's her job it. is done. Hey, look, I'm going to go on faith that she is actually listening, and this story, Emily, is for you. I'm going to call this episode a shout-out to Emily. A shout-out to Emily. Okay. Since she won't be able to miss it. This is cool. Okay, so you and I have talked in the past. We are both big fans of things like underground tunnels, oh, yeah. underground structures. I'm a big fan of the whole secret space kind of thing. I have this recurring dream of my childhood home and that I'm out in the woods that were behind our house and I just stumble onto a whole secret modern neighborhood that nobody knew was there. So things like that have always been fascinating to me. So this story, when it came across my radar, actually yesterday, so I actually bumped this one up on my list of things to talk about because I thought it so cool, but... The title of the article is Providence Artist Banned from Mall After Living in Secret Apartment for Four Years. <laughs> so <laughs> before we even be get into this, can I just point out that, of course, this would have yeah. to be an artist doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It would never be like, you know, Providence Banker <laughs> Banned from yeah. Mall. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It has yeah, to be someone who doesn't really it, need to go to a job. You got to have some sort of loose ties with society, I think, to be able to pull this yes. off. So I'm fascinated with things like this. Like there's that North Pond Hermit, which I did a whole uh-huh. podcast episode about. You produced the music for that. But, you know, that guy lived off grid completely alone for 25 years. I think it was Vermont wilderness. So, right. yeah. so, you know, things like that have always been kind of fascinating to me. What's fascinating about this story is the ads on this site keep overriding it's, it's literally bad, everything I want to do. I'm going to uh, have to go. Yeah, I'm going to have to go install like an ad blocker just for this. So. This artist, his name, Michael Townsend. So Michael Townsend, he was a Providence-based artist. And way back in 1997, he happened to be walking out. I'm going to quote from you because I watched an entire YouTube video about this. Oh, nice. nice. So I'll reference the article from time to time, but most of what I know came from that video. But he's out walking his dog one day. Now, he's an artist. He lives in this area near, and is this, I'm guessing this is Providence. Rhode I would Island. say Providence, right? It'd have to yeah. be. Yeah. So I actually never caught where this was. So he's walking around, walking his dog, and there's a mall under construction, the Providence Place Mall. And what he noticed as he's walking, there's this weird gap between sort of like where the corners of two buildings should have met. Instead, there was a narrow gap. And he just sort of poked his head in and discovered it was a long, narrow corridor. So upon investigating, discovered it was a, a fairly large space. That wasn't going to be used for a storefront or anything. It was just a quirk of the design of the mall, the architectural design of the building, created this unused space, completely enclosed with limited access. So he didn't really think anything of it. But then he went back about his life, the built and the mall was completed. So fast forward a while later, and one of the things that happened was the area that he lived in, the building he lived in, the city, the developer of that mall actually bought up all the buildings in this area and tore them all down. Then he and his artist friends were all living there and they all protested to no avail. And the buildings were all torn down and they were replaced with a parking lot. 
for a brand new structure similar to the mall. So now homeless, he and his friends, you know, they scramble, they find places to bunk out or whatever. And at one point, they decide they want to do an experimental project. And the goal was they want to live in a public space for a week without anyone <laughs> discovering them. So this is how about college, man. It's like me and you was like, hey, man, I, but you can't live here for a week. And right. it just escalates, right? And it's you like, to, it's totally it's something. Been 15 I years. <laughs> yeah. So they kicked around a lot of ideas. And then he just sort of remembered that this space had been there. It wasn't even top of mind. I mean, this wasn't the original plan, but they did settle on the mall. Like they were thinking, well, maybe we could hide out in a Macy's or, yeah. you know, kind of like those people who live in Walmarts. I don't know if you've heard about these. <laughs> I haven't heard about they, that, but it sounds like an episode of Stuff That's Real. Okay, I will find that story and I share it with you. But like, there are people who actually manage to live out of like Walmarts and sporting goods stores and things like that. They wait until no one's looking and they hide somewhere. And then after hours, they have the run of the store. <laughs> so that's a similar idea. Like these guys were planning something similar. But then this guy, Townsend, remembers that there was this weird anomaly space. And so he goes back finds the opening, squeezes his way in, and discovers that there's a bunch of like building debris and stuff in there, uh, tools and pieces of wood that weren't used and you know a lot of junk and, and dust and stuff. But it looks like it hasn't been touched in the couple of years since the place was built. So he pitches this as their home base. And so over the course of the next few weeks, they sort of sneak in and take out all the junk that they can and start working out like how this is going to work. Well, there's an access to this within the mall. What they did was they put up a fake utility door. Okay. So they okay. bricked in the outside. Yeah, I saw that. Pieces. The cinder blocks. And then they, on the inside, there's actually a space where there's a ladder that leads up to this thing. And that gap is the only way in or out. And so they put up a fake utility door so that it would just look like just any other space and nobody would question it, you know? And then so over the course of the next few months, you know, they managed to, they snuck in all kinds of stuff and they did it in broad daylight. Like they actually would go <laughs> into the ball and buy things. They didn't steal, okay? Okay, that's an that important part of this them, story. Yeah. But, you know, they brought in a sofa that they found somewhere. They brought in this like huge China hutch. This is back in the 90s. So this is shot on like VHS, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but they have a video of these guys carrying a cabinet up this ladder and into that space to show you how challenging it was to get things in there. So a lot of people can't figure out how they managed to get anything in there, much less in broad daylight with security guards and stuff. And I would imagine broad daylight, it's easier to sneak stuff around. In some ways it was because there were so many people around, the guards, their attention is taken up by that. Yeah, well, you're carrying a couch in it. The guard's not going to think, well, that couch is a bomb. And, you know, they're just going to assume some workers are right. redecorating their store or they have to move around or somebody ordered a couch and they have to help them get it home. Or, yeah. You know, so I wouldn't even bat an eye if I were a mall security cop. <laughs> yeah. So by the time it was all said and done, they had figured out how to run some power. They kind of tapped into power in the place. Well, that was my question, yeah. So there was a movie theater that was open late into the evenings. So they used the bathrooms at the movie theater for cleaning up and using the restroom and getting water when they needed it. But they already had plans for ways they might be able to get water into the space. <laughs> but as time went by, this whole thing kind of turned into... You know, Townsend 
basically started living there full time. And they had this pact. It was kind of like Fight Club. Like they decided, you know, no one talks about the condo. That's the what they called it. Their, nice. their condo. The condo. Um, so you don't talk about the condo. That's the first rule of condo. You know, mall condo, first rule. Don't talk about mall condo. And the second rule, don't talk about mall condo. So over time, they managed to get all this stuff in there. They had silverware, they had a TV, they had a PlayStation. They were just all kind of living there off and on, most of them. But Townsend lived there almost exclusively for the next four years. That's insane. <laughs> so, and I'm, you know, the more I'm thinking about this, the more I'm like, you don't need a kitchen. You're in a mall. There's literally a food court. Right. You know? And if you're not paying rent, you could afford to eat out every day for every right. meal. Yeah. You know? This is incredible. Yeah. I want to go live in a mall now. Yeah. So that's the thing. And so what was intriguing to me was the idea of this hidden space that nobody realized was there. Okay. Yeah. That someone lived in. After this, I went looking for like secret apartment on uh, YouTube and you'd be surprised how many pop up. There's a woman in New York and she and her roommates are renting this like tiny little apartment and they're all sharing the space. And she notices that her bathroom has a cold breeze and she can't figure out where it's coming from. And then she happens to be near the mirror and feels it. And so she moves the mirror and the mirror is hiding a hole that leads to a whole other apartment that nobody knew was there. Wow. Even the landlord didn't realize was there. And it's a full fleshed out apartment with plumbing and everything. So Jeez. she like quadrupled her own personal space. But so things like that are very fascinating to me. And uh, well, these guys, sadly, everything came to a sad end when eventually two new security guards were hired and they discovered the apartment, but no one was in it at the time. So they stole, stole, they took personal items from the apartment in an attempt to try to figure out who this was. And that freaked out the guys. And so they made a pact that they would only come at night. They would only go to the apartment at night after hours. So in that way, they kept using the space for the next, you know, I don't know, several months or a year. I'm not yeah. even sure. But eventually, Townsend, I guess, got a little cocky. There was this female Asian artist coming to the U.S., and uh, he reached out to her and introduced himself. He was a big fan. And he convinced her to go with him to see the condo. And they went during the day. And when he showed her around, and then they were just about to leave when these two security guards bust down the door and arrest him for trespassing and her. And she was eventually let go with no charges. He actually faced charges, some of which were felony charges of trespass. But in the course of the trial, the judge became so enthusiastic about what this guy had pulled off that he gave him a slap on the wrist. No fines, no anything. He got a misdemeanor trespass charge. He was trespassed from the mall, couldn't go back to the mall ever again. And that was it. Yeah, yeah. So he didn't hurt anybody. I mean, on the contrary, he was okay. I'm not into art, <laughs> so this kind of this quote kind of irks me. But it also implies that Townsend wasn't out to steal or hurt anybody or cause any sort of trouble. He just needed a place to live. But this yeah. quote is: it, it says Townsend insists that the entire endeavor was done out of a compassion to understand the mall more and life as a shopper. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's, dude. Come on. Just, that's, that's just, just come on. That's, that's an artist, right? Yeah. Like, but his art project ultimately resulted in a misdemeanor charge for trespassing. So, no, this is probably the best case scenario. Like, there's got to be a consequence. You can't just go live in a public space that you're not paying for. But yeah, uh, well, good, good on the judge heard, for just being like, hey, this is cool, man. Good work. 
(laughs) Another story that's similar to this, but they never caught who this was, but some, there was, and I forget where this happened in the world. It's here in the United States, but I don't know exactly where, but some workers noticed that there was a ladder leading up to a gap in an underpass, okay? And that someone had basically built a door over this gap. Uh, but they'd left the ladder, and I guess not quite thinking about it. So they go up and they discover that within this space under the overpass, there was enough space for like a small apartment just sitting there unused. Wow. And someone had built an apartment in it. <laughs> yeah, so well, life will find a way. Yeah. <laughs> so those stories fascinate me. That, that's cool, the yeah. kind of thing I really dig. And, you know, I write about characters who would do things like that if they were in a pitch. So I remember when I was in elementary school, it must have been fifth grade, a girl on the bus who sat next to me on the bus and I would plan our, we're going to run away and live in the woods. And I don't think either one of us ever took it too seriously, but I started thinking about it seriously. Like, I don't dislike my parents, so I'm going to need them on board. You know, I need them to know where I live and I need everything that I have at home. Because I like eating golden grams in the morning and, and you know, so I need, yeah. I need golden grams. I need a cupboard to put them in. So pretty much I just basically in my mind had erected a house. Yeah. Just not in my own house, you know? Yeah. And I gave it up because I thought, well, houses are expensive and I, I clearly need all the comforts of life. I can't manage <laughs> sleeping in a sleep. This, bag. by the way, I think is part <laughs> of what my fascination with like van life and RV life sure. is really yeah, all yeah. about the idea of having this little space that, you know, tucked away somewhere that you carry with you. That was always the one that got me like, well, yeah, I, you know, I'm an Eagle Scout. So I camped every month yeah. uh, growing up every single month, at least we would go on some weekend camping trip and in scouts, you know, it's all what they call primitive camping. Like, you don't, there's no yeah. water, electricity, whatever. I guess we'd have water at the sites if we're at a state park or something. But a lot of times we just went out in the woods and yeah. you know, set up our tents. We'd have chuck boxes, you know, yep. and it was a great lesson in how little you need you know, we weren't hunting or anything, but how like we were fishing and we could catch fish and eat fish and all that. Yeah. I mean, add in hunting and scavenging for food, like you could, you could make it work. And there was always this line between my parents eventually got it like a pop-up camper. And now they've got like a pull behind, like it's this big elaborate thing. Yeah. And you guys used to have this RV, right? That was like just ridiculous. It had the pop-outs, you know? And at some yeah. point I'm like, well, this isn't camping anymore, guys. Like this is just living in the thing that moves. But we we weren't camping. No, no, no. I know you that weren't. wasn't what, what we were doing. Yeah. But, but when you talk to people who do this, they go, quote unquote, camping. Yeah. You know, well, they That's just go to the park and they're staying in their RV. And I'm like, right. That shouldn't count. But yeah. similarly, like when I go on a camping trip now, I get all these little gadgets. I love going to the stores and getting gadgets. And yeah, I can light a fire 18 different ways, you know, with all these things. And I'm like, at some point, this isn't really living off the land. It's just living with more gadgets. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this doesn't but it's, kind of it's light footprint kind of living. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, appeals to me. And you know, and I read a lot of books. Like I read Cheryl Strait's. Uh, oh sure, yeah, Wild. Wild or whatever. It is. Yeah, I read uh, Bryson's book Into the Woods. I think walk through the, the walk into the woods or something. A walk in the woods. Yeah, yeah walk in the woods. Uh, yeah. And the kid, what's his name? McCandless. McCandless uh, up in Alaska in that bus. Yeah. So Into the Wild was that one. Into the so, Wild. Yeah, you know, I just read, that read they, books uh, like that. No, I was just gonna say they found. They had to move McCandless's bus because everybody kept trying to hike down there. They'd have yeah. to get rescued. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, he died out there. Like, of course. Yeah. Stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. You read these books or you see these films and these people are, you know, they live like that. And it's very attractive. You sort of forget the danger of it and the yeah. risks of it. But, yeah, no, it's very appealing. And the whole idea, I've, for some reason, it's always, I read a lot of books, watch a lot of films. 
about this idea of disappearing, going off grid, you know, just Literally living in Jeremiah Johnson. Yeah. Anyway, there's a lot of story potential and stuff like this. You know, there's always that sort of old urban legend about somebody living in your wall, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> secret compartment in your closet or whatever. You know, the uh, new uh, Disney movie Encanto, I don't, you know, probably didn't see that, but you know, there's a guy that lives like in the walls of the house. Hmm. You know, we don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> That's what people are talking. I keep That's seeing that references is, yeah. to yeah. Bruno. He's like, one of those bunch of kids, a bunch of siblings, adult siblings that grew up in this house. And the house is alive. It's Disney, right? The house is alive and, you know, whatever. But Bruno lives in the walls. He lives, like, in the deep, dark corners that no one knows about. Okay. But I'm like, if you know anything about architecture, you don't build those. <laughs> There's not, like, giant cavities in the wall. Like, this isn't, you know, most Except houses that, aren't going to have that. Well, there were houses like that. We've talked about this in a previous episode about the guy who had a tunnel that went to the... the um, oh, the, the bo- in Boston. In yeah, Boston. And they had, like, this... Um, well, sure. Yeah. But, I mean, when you design it that way, I just mean, like... It's not you an know, accidental thing. Someone yeah, it's knows not an accidental thing. You're not just like, well, first. I didn't measure this right, so now there's a five foot by eight foot space that you know some yeah. hobo is going to live in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just watched a video about a guy in the UK who discovered when he bought his house that there was a hidden bomb shelter oh, uh, geez, in the back garden, cool. and so he's remodeling it. Yeah, and I'm like, well, that's where that sort of thing can come into play. Like, you know, you've someone's got a secret door in their basement. They die. No one knows it's there. And somebody buys that house 50 years later, 100 years later and discovers it. Yeah. Uh, you know, that sort of thing happens. Just like, you you know, the lava tube episode about the guy discovering a lava tube in his backyard. Yeah. I mean, a friend of mine. Yeah. Yeah. So, insane, man. That's insane. That stuff's cool. All right. Enough about my Enough story. about that. I think you know about this. We've talked about this before. Have you ever been to Action Park in New Jersey? No. No? But I have heard of it. Yes. Yeah, we've talked about it before, but I was reading about it again on Reddit because somebody posted a picture of the slide, and it's a slide that does a loop. Okay. (laughs) It's a water slide, right? And you go down, and you're like at nine Gs at the bottom, and you go in this loop. And apparently, it's made out of concrete, or maybe a different slide is made out of concrete, but this one was, people would be coming out with like, yeah. scratches and scrapes and like they'd be bleeding you know from the slide and apparently it's because people would like knock their teeth against the inside of the slide and the teeth would fall to the bottom of the loop and then these guys would like slide down and it'd be like hitting sandpaper at like you know yeah. 100 miles an hour and it would just shred their skin off their back you know but this place got named many things it was officially action park up in new jersey and it was meant to be kind of a, an escape for the new yorkers to come down it was at a ski resort and the owner of the ski resort wanted to build an amusement park for the summertime when yeah. people couldn't ski. You know, this is pretty common. If you go to like Winter Park or Steamboat around here, there's stuff to do in the summertime at these ski resorts. They usually have like an alpine sled, that kind of thing, Yeah, going down the side of the mountain. But Gene Mulvihill is the founder and CEO of this place. And I actually get the philosophy that he had, but it was that amusement park visitors should be in control of their experience. Just like when you're skiing, you're in control. Like, you know, if you crash, that's you. Like you did that. Yeah. Yeah, You know, where every other amusement park, you buckle in and whatever happens to you is based on the the ride. Gene wanted to (laughs) take it to the next level and he wanted an amusement park in the summertime that was like skiing was in the winter. And so he wanted a water park as well as some other rides where the patrons could manage the rides, including how fast and how high they went. So that's exactly what he created. And then all the deaths started happening (laughs) naturally (laughs) as they would, right? I think the total mortality count is six. 
the years that it was open. And there were millions of visitors. And so the legal team up here at Class Action Park, as people call it now, was arguing that, well, you know, you've got so many millions of people visiting every year that, you know, one death a year isn't, I mean, statistically speaking, that's nothing. There was an HBO, I think it was HBO, I think a documentary about this place. And I'm pulling some of the stuff from that as well. But apparently they found like one of the doctors who was working in the ER during the time this place was open. And he was quoted as saying something like, well, yeah, we only had six deaths, but that's because we were like saving the lives of like two dozen people per day that were coming from Class Action Park. And literally the park purchased ambulances for the principality they were in because they didn't have enough ambulances to cart people back and forth. So the park was like, hey, we'll buy our own ambulances. This place was nuts, man. It was extreme. Apparently, you know, they had water slide that was made out of concrete and not the smooth kind. You know, they had like a sandpaper slide. You'd scrape down and you'd be bleeding at the bottom of it. It would shoot people off of it. The first death was a 19-year-old that rode off the track. Oh, no, sorry. That was on the alpine slide. That wasn't a water slide. But yeah, they had this alpine track that was faster than all get out. Some of the things were broken. It's like going to Walmart and hoping for a cart that doesn't, you know, turn left all yeah. the time. Yeah. You just never know. You take your life into your own hands. You get on the alpine slide. Some of these didn't have any brakes at all because they were broken. And so that you couldn't slow down. So that's the first death they had was 19-year-old uh, rode off the track and hit his head. According to New Jersey's records, there were 26 other serious head injuries and 14 fractures attributed just to this alpine slide. Yeah. I love <laughs> it. The opening of this paragraph says uh, alpine slide, which has been described as essentially a giant tractor ripped people's skin off that was disguised as a kid's ride. <laughs> this thing is, I mean, this is like straight out of a Goosebumps book or something, man. Yeah. Like, it's insane. There was another article I read, might have been on the Wikipedia article about this place, but they were testing a ride and they had an inspector come out to watch as they're testing the ride. Now, the ride is similar to an alpine slide with, imagine, like PVC pipe rails on the sides. And inside on the slide, you would be inside of a big giant ball. Yeah. Uh, kind of strapped in. You've seen these balls and they roll down hills. You know, it's like a gyro kind of thing. They had one of these and, and there was a guy that was testing it inside this. And they didn't account for the PVC expanding and getting really hot and brittle in the sun. And so the ball hits the PVC going super fat. This is a ski mountain, right? This is yeah. not like a hill. You know, yeah. it's a freaking mountain. So it cracks through the PVC wall and the ball just starts bouncing down another mountain, another slope, and ends up in a swamp like a mile away. And a bunch of guys from the Action Park employees had to go like run out into the swamp, swim out there and rescue the guy who was alive. But he like basically just laid on the ground and panted for dear life for a few minutes while the inspector just turned around, left the park and didn't ever write anything about it. And so the park was like, okay, let's scrap that idea. Get rid of the ball. So apparently the story goes, they just dragged the ball into the woods where it just sat there for years. <laughs> they just abandoned it. They just totally abandoned the project. The best part about this whole thing is like, that doesn't sound like a ride designer to me. Somebody yeah. who's gone to school to architect, you know, amusement park rides. It sounds like a bunch of like, you know, jacked up teenagers that were like, hey man, like I got an idea for a ride. Let's build it. Let's get some yeah. PVC pipe from Home Depot. And it's the kind of thing that like my <laughs> friends and I did like, the most dangerous yes. crap, but you have no idea because you're too stupid to realize that you yeah. shouldn't. I almost, I, I've almost burned down an entire suburban like forest when I was a kid. No one ever paid me to do that. <laughs> These guys got paid yeah. to do it. Their tidal wave pool was nicknamed the Grave Pool. The Grave the wave Pool. pool. <laughs> they had like seven to eight foot waves, and apparently, story goes that the twelve lifeguards on duty rescued on average thirty people a day each mm -hmm. per day. Yeah, 
I mean, geez, it says man. that the one of the biggest problems with it was that it was filled with fresh water instead of salt water, which I had no idea this would be the case. But salt water makes you more buoyant, yeah, so it makes it easier to stay alive in a pool of wavy water like huh. that. So I never would have thought about it, but yeah, the Dead Sea, you float like crazy. You like basically yeah. are above the water. I've heard. I've got some friends that have been out there. Yeah, so that makes sense. Salt water does make you float. It makes you more buoyant. (laughs) So you know what this reminds me of, man? Something (laughs) you and I would build if uh, we had all the money. It is. In (laughs) fact, it's something I did build. And back in my like 20s, a friend of mine and I wanted to build a homemade hang glider. And what we used was aluminum conduit from like Lowe's (laughs) and a blue tarp. And we meticulously shaped it and wound cord and sewed the tarp onto it. And then we made a, we used a lawnmower handle for the handle for it. And we had guide wires everywhere. And what we decided to do was my friend Bob lost a bunch of weight so that he could be the first to fly in this thing. (laughs) I put him in my motorcycle helmet because we had to have some kind of safety. Gave him my motorcycle gloves uh, so that he could hold on. And that's it. That's all the safety precautions we took. And what we did was <laughs> we had a kid's pool, an inflatable kid's pool, and we put him on his knees and then we tied the whole thing to the back of my pickup truck and invited all my friends to oh my film God. it, with various cameras. I have this. It's called Flight of the Enterprise. <laughs> we have the video. I can prove this. But we spent the next several hours dragging him through a field, a cow pasture, <laughs> at one point he said his knees were hurting so i duct taped cardboard to his knees to give him some padding and it's just a miracle nobody died especially him yeah so we spent all day doing what these guys at this amusement park were charging people for and we didn't make a penny all we day that's the best part about this whole thing is you just constructed this thing ideated it and constructed it in one day oh yeah oh we're yeah like, maybe we should build a plane over the course of a few days. But nope, yeah. we're going to do this today. We're going right now. Do any of us have any sort of aeronautics experience? Uh, <laughs> do we know anything at all? I didn't even know the Bernoulli principle at that point in my life. a lot so. of flight simulator back then, you know? I had flown a lot of flight simulators. And so I was very confident. Very confident. Um, this is Dunning-Kruger in full effect. <laughs> so Yes. <laughs> so that's a stuff that's real, a bonus stuff that's real. But that did happen. I have the video. That we made. We're going to queue this up, man. We're going to get this next week. I'll find it. I'll find it. We'll have that. I need to put it on YouTube anyway because that deserves its time in the sun. Yes, please. So, yeah. Yeah, this park is amazing. It's sad that people died. One guy, yeah. a 27 year old, was electrocuted when in the kayak experience, his boat tipped over and there was a grate underwater that had like a loose wire, a loose electrical wire coming out of it. Oh, wow. Hit it. And he actually, I think that he was still alive and they took him out and he died later in the hospital. But so, yeah, obviously some terrifying, sad stuff. But there's a lot of guys on Reddit. And of course, you know, I I believe everything I read on Reddit because it's all accurate, 100% factual. And it's totally not completely anonymous. But there are a lot of people that claimed to have gone to Action Park a lot and they loved this kind of anything goes mentality because it was a slightly more organized version of the same crap that we were doing anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it was like, hey, well, there was this roller slide that people would get, you know, like a boogie board, I guess. And it was just a bunch of rollers and yeah. we'd slide down and people's feet would get stuck and all that. But that sounds absolutely like something I would do and then push my brother down it, you know? Yeah. But, you know, you trust that someone else has built it and constructed it a little bit better. And it turns out that's not the case. Mulvey Hill's son actually was quoted as saying he was proud of his dad. I'm trying to find the actual quote here. 
His son had, oh, so about <laughs> the cannonball loop. This is the first thing we talked about. This slide that goes in a loop de loop. His son admits, oh, they never quite perfected that one, but he remains proud of his father for taking a risk with the ride in the first place. Then he says, my father, if he could find a guy with a crazy idea for a ride, he'd hire the guy, even if he never built it before. Yeah. So, you know, a little sketch on the, the construction details here and the, the, you know, the bonded and insured contractors you're hiring. But hey, I guess the idea is if there's a way to do an amusement park where you're in a little bit more control, there are thrill seekers who will take you up on that and pay big bucks to get in. Yeah. I guess it's possible you could even get waivers and things from people and absolve yourself of responsibility. Possibly. But they, yeah. I like I highly that. doubt it would exist today in, in this iteration. But I think you could do something yeah. similar. I do see there at the end that they did eventually in 2010, they came back and. Yeah, yeah. I was reopened in 2014. Mulvey Hill bought it in 2010 or led a committee to buy it back. I guess he got it, named it Mountain Creek Water Park and now advertised its trained lifeguard staff, blah, blah, blah. I think it closed again in like 2017. The original post that I read was open from like, you know, whatever until 1996 and then opened again in 2014 to 2017 or whatever. So it may be open. I'm sure there's probably a still, you don't really close a ski resort down because it's a big moneymaker these days, right? And Vail will buy you no matter what. (laughs) But uh, I'm assuming in the summertime, there's something there that you can do, an alpine slide or whatever, but just insane, man. I can't believe this. Class action park or traction park is what people would call it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And it makes you kind of think like how many times were we near death as kids? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, cause I remember like in just general amusement parks, even so you're familiar with, and our listeners may or may not be Schlitterbahn yep. in New Braunfels. And uh, there were some pretty gruesome deaths that happened at that water park. Like a kid got decapitated. Decapitated. One, right? yeah. yeah. Jeez. So, and I remember God, when I, mean, as a parent, I can't imagine you waiting for your kid in the bottom and just like a bloody corpse, headless corpse comes down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. That's a horror. So things like that, like, and I think about it, like up until that point when that happened to that kid, like I've been going to that park for yeah. years. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I've ridden that same ride. <laughs> I've done, yeah, I've done ridden that ride. I've done even stupider things and somehow survived it all. So, yep. I mean, and you go and there's a girl that you're trying to impress and you're doing stupid crap in the line and, you know, taking whatever risk you can take as a young man, you do. Yeah. seems to be the norm, right? And yeah, I remember, I don't know if it was SeaWorld or, or at the time Fiesta Texas, uh, which is now Six Flags, of course, but I think it was Fiesta Texas. They had a ride called the Rio Loco. I yeah. Think it was Fiesta Texas. Yeah. The Bully Washer. One of It's the same ride. You sit in this yeah, yeah. circular thing with other people and you go down this river and a waterfall dumps in your head. but. Somebody died in one of those. I think they drowned because there's all kinds of shit underwater. Yeah. You know, there's like, there's the propelling your boat down, not just by jets, like a jet ski has, but like rollers and tubes and crap underwater. And I guess his foot yeah. got stuck in one. And yeah, man, that's terrifying. I don't think I want to ride that again. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, I don't think I will. I discovered this the hard way at Thanksgiving. We went down to San Antonio again, went to SeaWorld, took the kids there and was with my brother and his family and my parents. And everybody wanted to ride the Great White, which is kind of their flagship roller coaster. And I remember yeah. I rode that a thousand times as a kid. A thousand times. Easy. Yeah. Because we had season passes and all that. And I've always loved roller coasters. Hadn't been on one until it's probably been about, it had been about 15 years, honestly. And I got on the Great White and I got like, I almost had a panic attack. Yeah. I don't know what happened. It was just, my body's different now. And oh, yeah. I got off I, and I, Emily was like, are you okay? And I was like crying, you know. We were at... um <laughs> What is it? Uh, the studios in uh, Orlando. Which is it called? 
Universal. Um, Universal and, uh, and MGM was the old we one. We rode right? the Harry Potter, one of the Harry Potter rides. It's yeah, okay. That's it. So first of all, when they put us on, they separated me and Kara. They put her at one side and me and another. There's a couple strangers between us. And then they pressed down that bar and it like pinned my right arm to where oh, I no. couldn't move oh, it. Oh, jeez. And so I'm kind of having a little bit of a stress over that. Right, and then right. we do the ride and I'm like, okay, I can get through this. Breathe through it. It's almost over. We get right to the end of it and it froze and everything shut down and we're stuck there. I was losing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I'd be right there with <laughs> you, like, man. Since when do I even care about this? But like, I was like, yeah. I wonder if I could reach my pocket knife and cut my way out of here. And, yeah, there's like 127 know, hours or something. Like you're going to cut your own arm off. And I was, uh, <laughs> I was up for it. I was still, yeah. like, I'd leave every limb behind if I could crawl my way out of that thing. But yeah, I was losing it. I've noticed I'm becoming more claustrophobic as I age. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it's crazy, man. Emily and I talk about the physiology, the human response, you know, to like mental things. Yeah changing our physical whatever, you know, and I not being a doctor, not studying that I buy into that wholeheartedly. Something happened where chemically my brain is prone to be anxious or whatever. Right. And I know how to fight that in normal situations, but now that I'm older, I don't know whatever it is. I've actually changed my physiology now. So where I'm not able to ride a roller coaster, for example, now I could probably learn. I've never been like, I've never liked heights. You know, I don't want to go rock climbing, but you can overcome that. You can go on a ropes course and practice. And I pride myself on facing down fears like that. But, you know, there's no practical reason to ride a roller coaster. (laughs) My whole life, I was never all that fond of them to begin with. Even when I was, you know, in high school, we'd go to Astroworld. was Uh not the Astroworld that killed 30 people or whatever, but the original nostalgic theme park that was owned by Six Flags. And, you know, we rode, I'd ride Grease Lightning and... You know, all the different, they had the world's largest wooden roller coaster at the time, mm-hmm. Texas Cyclone, things like that. I'd write all that stuff. I loved it. We'd do it over and over again, but there came a point where it wasn't fun for me anymore. And so I stopped right. doing it. And I guess since then, I don't care. And then when I do get on one, when I have gotten on one, it's like, it's just not a fun experience for me. Anymore. Right. So right. It's not worth it. I want the slow rides now. I want the one that go through like, you know, with, like yeah, Disney like with all the go to Disney scene. and go on the the Winnie the Pooh ride. You know, you're <laughs> floating around, or it's a small world. You know, there's one in I discovered that to me is a hidden ride in Disney World at Epcot. Oh, is it the biological or the what is it the? Uh, no, it's not that one. That one's that one, one or whatever. It's kind of like that too. This one's actually in a Mexican restaurant, <laughs> and all right. it's got cartoon ducks playing. You know. Mariachi, yeah. a cartoon duck mariachi band, and Donald Duck is involved in this and everything. So you go through this whole ride, and it's a nice, dark, cool space on a hot day. Which is that's attractive to me. That's yeah. what I'm there for. You know, I think I there's a, it like yeah. six times. Just, there's a just similar because. one when we went to go hang out with you guys in Galveston. Emily yeah. and I went to because uh, we were going on a cruise, I believe, is why we were down there. Yeah, and we had an evening free. After we hung out with you during the day, and we went to dinner. And she wanted to go to uh, Rainforest Cafe. She loves Rainforest yeah, Cafe. Yeah, you know, exactly. Right? I'm like, yeah. sure, I'll take a grade D burger, you know, for thirty five dollars, so I can watch, you know, a fake gorilla and then get rained on. You know, it sounds great. Yeah, you know, I'm like, whatever. I'll go in there. I'm all curmudgeonly, you know. Well, there's a freaking ride in the basement yeah. of that restaurant. Yeah, and it's like one of these river rides. You get in yeah. one of those log tubes, you know. There's log chute, what they call it, a chute ride. Right. Or something. Right. And so we rode the freaking ride. I was like, this is crazy, man. We're in a That's the only reason to go there. Who knows? Yeah. That's the only reason. And speaking as someone who was forced to eat at 
every rainforest cafe in the world <laughs> a thousand times. That is legitimately the only reason to go to, especially that particular. Is that the only one that has a ride in the bottom of it? No, there are others. Okay. And if, you're, if you go to be, out yeah. to Disney Springs, they have that, I think. Well, there's a rainforest cafe, cafe at um, Animal Kingdom, too. Animal Kingdom. Which but they, I don't think that the one has The same people uh, created the T-Rex place, and I think that one has a ride, too. I okay. Think. Yeah. Well, we're about to go. We're going to be there yeah. in uh, three weeks, so we'll let you know all about it. Enjoy. Yeah. Well, Karen we and I have tickets that we have been putting off for two years now. So we'll get go go the same week we're there. Well, we, we have a house to close on. but nah, uh, nah, don't worry about that. That's not important. After that, we can talk. We all right. Well, we better end this because uh, yeah. I don't. Everyone listening is like, "What are they on about now?" They've been going on for like forty-five minutes about. <laughs> hey, it's stuff that's real, man. It's cool. Roller You're buying a house. I'm, I'm going yeah. to Disney World. That's all real. Anyway, well, you know, you guys have been listening long enough. We appreciate you very much. Thanks for putting up with us. Ah, uh, yada yada yada. You know how to find us. Read Hi, book. Emily. Hi, Emily. I think we covered everything now. So yeah, we'll see you next week, and stay tuned for more stuff that's real that you didn't know was real, but also is cool. Podcast. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com str.